for making this opportunity available. And it's so wonderful to see you all. And trust me, you are, for years, have been deeply in my prayers. And uh, although we don't get a chance to see each other face to face, uh, I bring you before the Father and think fondly of you. And I praise God for you. Uh, for our study today, we're going to look at two passages of scriptures. First um, Samuel chapter 22 and Colossians chapter 12. First Samuel chapter 22 and Colossians chapter 12. Uh, like I said, the world is looking for an answer. We have the answer. They're looking for some kind of way to make a sense, make sense of all this happening to us around the world. What does it mean? Jesus said, you can look in the sky at night and see it's red and you're going to say, uh, wow, that's going to be fair weather coming. And in the morning you see the sky and it's red and you say, foul weather is coming. And he said, oh fools, how is it that you can tell that it's going to rain or not rain, but you can't tell the signs of the times. And I think that because the world can't do it or doesn't do it, the church is divinely appointed, divinely appointed to tell the world what it's missing. And I think this is one way that God has stirred the world's attention. C.S. Lewis said many years ago, God whispers to us in our pleasure and screams at us in our pain. And I think God is screaming. And I think the church is to be the, the witness, the testimony to the world that this is something that we should be aware of. And God's uh, voice to us is to, to tell us of his, not only of his grace and his long, long suffering and his saving sinners, but soon he's coming back. I believe in the imminent turn, return of Jesus Christ, not the the immediate return of Jesus Christ in that Jesus Christ can come at any minute but I don't preach that he's coming any minute he is not coming in one minute I don't preach that that's not my responsibility he may be but my responsibility is to preach that he could come and he is coming I believe in the Christ that is risen and coming again I was preaching at one of the cycle clubs uh, on the island of Bermuda many years ago and I had a very large group of kids who only got out of bed about four in the afternoon and they gathered in the cycle clubs to drink and to swear and to and to ride their cycles and they were there and I was there at maybe two in the morning and I had a crowd and they were listening to me and one young man said wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute my great-grandmother used to say to my grandmother girl live right the Lord is coming and after she died, my grandmother started to tell my mother, girl, live right, because the Lord is coming. And my mommy raised me, saying, boy, get your life together, because the Lord is coming. Well, all of those people were saying the Lord is coming. Where is the Lord? There is no Lord. Where is the Lord? If he's coming, how, why hasn't he come? 
And everybody turned toward me and said, well, how do you answer that? And I said, very simple. Grace. Grace. It's not because he can't come. It's not that he's not coming. But he wants to wait for a chance. And that chance is so that you can accept him as a Lord and Savior. It's a chance for you to turn your life toward him. One of the major facts that the church must implement in the world is Jesus Christ is coming again. Absolutely. Just like he came bodily, he's coming for his church bodily. I will be risen one day with him and will glorify him. And that's a message that we should keep alive at all times. He's coming soon. How soon? I don't know. But the important thing is he's coming. First uh, Samuel chapter 22, the story uh, picks up here. David, who was anointed by Samuel to uh, be king in Saul's place, runs from Saul because Saul has tried to kill him on several occasions. And we pick up the story in verse number one, and uh, it takes us to our first point. David therefore departed thence and escaped to cave to the cave of Dulam. And when his brethren and all the father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over him, and there were with him about four hundred men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you set before our faces and we thank you for the truth of the fact that there is no error in it. It is the thus saith the Lord to the world. We pray, Father, that the word we are reading and hearing and are hearing would bless our hearts and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. In a very real sense, David, King David, typified in the Old Testament the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone that the world would not accept. Someone that the world did not expect to be the master of the universe. And the Bible talks about him being a young man anointed to take the, the uh, role of king after Saul. And God putting his spirit on him. And I see in this passage something that I don't need to alliterate. It's already alliterated for me. Everyone that was discontented. Everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, in other words, all the throwaways of life, those people that Saul didn't think were important, those men that didn't have uh, a stature or houses or a great wealth, all the throwaways came to David. And that's true about the Lord Jesus Christ. Every singer and sinner in, in the world can find a home in Christ. Christ accept anyone. Christ will accept anyone, no matter how bad your past, now, no matter what your history was, no matter what your upbringing is, no matter what your family is like. He takes everyone. And this is a perfect illustration of the kind of person that Christ is looking for because people today are messed up. People are in so much trouble. People just can't find a way. When I was working in a full-time job, I was going down to lunch, and a young man stopped me on my way to the cafeteria. 
And he said, um, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah. He said, I've been watching you for four years. And I watch you when you go down and do your Bible study at lunch and when you do your prayer time at break time and, and you carry your Bible and all that kind of thing. And I see all the people who watch you and all the young men that follow you and that sort of thing. And uh, I looked at you to see whether you would uh, lust after the pretty girls that would go by your head and never turned. I was, I was really intrigued by that. And I said, well, he must be a homosexual. And so I asked the homosexual, were you, were you one of them? And they said, no, we think he's a preacher. And so uh, I've, I've been watching you. I said, okay, you, you've been watching me. What does it mean? He said, uh, mister, whatever you got, will you give it to me? You obviously have found the answer to life. You obviously have something that nobody else has. Would you, would you please give it to me? My wife's about to leave me and take my kids away. I have no hope. I'm about to lose my job. Whatever you got, would you give it to me? And that's the very thing. David, who had never been a king before, he'd never been a soldier before. The only feat that David had accomplished was killing a lion and a bear and Goliath. And God set him up to be the sweet psalmist of Israel and king of all of his people. And everyone that was, that was downhearted, everyone that was discontent, saw in David something that they needed, somebody, something that, that Saul couldn't supply to them. And they came to him. There is an aspect of Christianity that is mentioned here. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And look what it says in chapter 12, verse 1. Now these are they that came to David to Ziglag, while he had kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish. Now notice what it says here. Not that they were in debt, not that they were discontented, not that they were in distress. It says, and they were among the mighty men, helpers of war. These were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and in shooting arrows of a bow, even to Saul's brethren of ben Benjamin. What's the difference? Because they had hooked up with David and his cause to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, notice they weren't described as downtrodden and, and depressed they became mighty men. There must be a change. A change has to happen. We're not inviting people to join our club. We're not even inviting people to join our church. We're inviting people to join our Christ. It's the influence of what Jesus Christ can do in a person's life that we're inviting the world to. And there should be a change. Changed out of the normal, changed out of the ordinary, and become a mighty person of God. Equipped by the Holy Spirit of God to do incredible things. Not from their own power, not by their own might, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the first transaction that must happen is there must be a change. There must be a change.
there's got to be someone who believes that God is able to do something in a person's heart and they go forth and proclaim his word so there's a dramatic life-altering change that's noticeable that's verifiable a change then look at the next thing look at what it says in verse number 8 and of the Gadarites they're separating themselves unto David and the whole of the wilderness men of might men of war fit for the battle that could handle shield and buckler whose faces were like the faces of lions and were sift swift as the rose upon the mountain. In other words, courageous men. Men who were quick. Men of quality. Men who understood the quest before them. Men who were not afraid. And what we need is bold Christians standing up. Jesus' commitment, uh, commandment to the disciples right before he was taken up from them said, Go ye therefore, all power is given to me. Well, Satan is powerful. No, he has no power. All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore. Don't think about it. Go. Go. And whatever's in your way, commit it to God. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Preach his word. We need men and women of quality who understand what's before them and have a drive to do what God has called them to do. Men of absolute courage. Look at the next group. Look at verse number 18. Then the spirit came upon a Mesai, who was the chief of the captains. And he said, Thine are we, David, and on thy side... Thou son of Jesse, peace, peace be unto thee, and peace to thine helpers, for that thy God helpeth thee. These men were committed, committed. As I've traveled all over the world, I have been influenced by one major thing. And I pardon you if I, if I insult your uh, sensitivities but in the church of Jesus Christ as I have done my travels throughout the country and the world I'm really surprised how many sissies there are people who are always I don't think the church likes me I don't I don't think they want to sing my song I wish that someone would regard what I want I want to have a picnic in my house why doesn't the church painted a different color why can I have my way sissies always trying to make a fuss to get their way. But these men here were committed. They were joined to David and David's cause. They didn't come to him with an agenda. And that's what Christ needs. He's the captain of the sea. He's the one that's the head of the army. He's not looking for your opinion. He's not looking for your advice. He just wants you to go. Committed to his cause. Look at the next one. Then looks at verse number 21. And they helped David uh, against the band of rovers. In other words, vain men. For they were all mighty men of valor and the captains in, the belt, in the, his hosts. 
And for that day, for that time, day by day, there came to David to help him, even to a great host like the host of God. They were churchmen. They were committed to the body. And when things, wicked things, tried to infiltrate David's camp, they took care of them. I believe that a good Bible-believing church has an angel, but I also believe that he has a committed demon to try to wreck the place. And men of God need to be aware of that and sensitive to it and know how to handle it. And we need people who pray constantly, not just for the, uh, their loved ones or their friends, but for the whole body of Christ. Ruth Campbell at Camp Maria made a list, and she still has that list. And she has prayed for every single person that ever worked at Camp Berea. And I emailed her not too long ago, are you still praying for me? Yes, I'm still praying for you. She's praying. We need someone who is committed to prayer for the body of Christ. Someone who is committed to his work and his love for sinners. It's amazing to me how many Christians are mad at the world because they're sinners. Why? Jesus said, love them. Love them. And you'll get more people by love than by hating them and talking against them and protesting against them. Well, I hate to tell you this. Everything that I've said before is just a preamble to what I want to talk about. It was just a preview of um, the verse that I really want to spend time on. And that's verse number 32. Notice what it says. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, and the heads of their brethren were at their commandment. Men of Issachar. Men of Issachar. And the Bible makes it clear of three things that distinguish them as mighty men of God. First, they knew the trouble. They knew the warfare of the enemy and his schemes, and they knew how to handle it. Now, you might ask, why did God let COVID hit the world? This is the first time we've had a worldwide pandemic where it hit every single country on the planet. Why, why did God allow that? Well, I don't know why God allowed it. But I know one thing. He wants me to do something in it. When the unjust steward was challenged before his master in Luke chapter 16, he said, what am I going to do? I can't farm. I, I certainly can't beg. And then he said in the next verse, I am resolved what to do. What are you going to do, church? We're in the midst of a worldwide crisis. What are you going to do? You going to hide? You going to build a bunker and live six feet underground? You going to huddle and be afraid? You going to join the crowds of naysayers? Are you going to take the opportunity and proclaim the gospel? And talk about the fact that there's a Christ who loves people. And despite the world situation, he still is able to save. You have to know the trouble. 
know what kind of situation we're in and do something about it. Next, they knew what it took. They knew what was needed for the fight. That God had a plan. God had an answer. The world needs to see that the answer to their situations, regardless of what their situations are, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only way, not the one of many ways, not the best way. He's the only way. The only way, church. And we need to talk about that. We need to go to the people who are wondering what's going to happen next. Well, Dwight, people have died. Christians on both sides, sinners and Christians are dying. Hey, that's right. So what do you have to say about it? Guess what? After Jesus' resurrection, some of the Christians were killed. That doesn't change the fact that Jesus still saves. Preach the gospel. They knew what it took. And then the third, third thing is they knew the times. They realized what was happening and where the Holy, God, Holy Spirit of God was moving. I need to uh, be very clear on this point. God says that no one knows the, the day nor the hour that the Son of Man is going to come or how he's going to rescue the church. And that's why we must be diligent. Not because we are ignorant of, him, of his return, because we realize his return. Preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. Several years ago, before I was married, I was on the streets of St. Petersburg, Russia. And I was with some uh, young men. And I said, hey guys, uh, I'm going to try something. And they said, what? I said, listen, listen. And I yelled at the top of my lungs, he lives! And all those men that were in the streets turned toward me and said, in English, we know! Here the gospel has been shut out of Russia for the last 70 years. But Russia couldn't stop it. Nothing can stop the truth of the gospel. Nothing. Preach it in season and out of season. Know the times. Know what's happening. Keep your pulse on the spirit of God and know how he's moving. Be prayed up. Be ready. Saints of God, we're the only answer, the only hope the world has. If they don't have the church of Jesus Christ, what are they going to do? We're not presenting to them some social society that they can uh, join and feel good about. We're saving the world through the preaching of the gospel. I long to preach. I long for someone who would just listen to the gospel. One thing that I, I am proud to say, I really admire the Mammon brothers that are here with me because in their city, New York, they go into the subways, they go into Times Square and they preach the gospel. They're not ashamed of the gospel. And when people don't want to hear it, when people yell against them, when people uh, try to shout them down, they preach more about Jesus. 
And one day, people are going to be judged because of what they preached. Saying, please, please, I would ask that we as a church will grow into our role to be committed, to be churchmen, to be courageous, to be changed, to be creative, to have a conscience toward the things of the Holy Spirit. And always aware of what God is moving by his spirit. And be ready to be used for his glory. Committed more than just saying a nice hello, God bless you. But tell them the truth. Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them and wants to save them. Many years ago, a famous football player was being interviewed. And, and the newscaster uh, asked him the wrong question. Why are you so good at your job? Why is it that you uh, work so hard to be so good? He said, well, in high school, I really honed my craft to be as best I could be as a quarterback so that I could be chosen in a great school to play football, get a scholarship. And I worked really hard in college and did the best I could so I'd be a first-round draft pick to join the NFL. And then when I got in the NFL, I worked with all my might, and I played well and honed my craft so I could be interviewed by you. And then the guy, the guy said, well, why was it so important that we be, you'd be interviewed by us, by the, the news? He said, because then I could have the world listen to me when I tell them that Jesus Christ loves them that he died on the cross for them, and that he rose again the third day. And the newscaster was flubbered about that. He said, uh, well, uh, I don't know what to say. That's all right, I'll take the time. Whoever you are today, you can accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that was the thing. That was his whole purpose in life. He wasn't playing football for glory. He wasn't playing football for the money. He wanted a chance to be interviewed and talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole world heard it. What's your purpose? What are you living for? That one 30 seconds of, of time that he was given, it wasn't for his own glory or accusation. He wanted to talk about a Christ who could save. You know, you only have a few seconds maybe for the world to hear you. What will you say to them? Oh, I hope this pandemic gets over. Oh, I wish that gays were not given all their, their rights. I think it's wrong for people to live together. No, that's not our message. We don't talk about social issues. We talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Proclaim his truth and give them a hope. A hope that goes beyond the grave about the Lord Jesus Christ. I was asked to speak at a church outside of Detroit many years ago. And I had never been asked by this church before. They were, I was surprised I got the invitation. And um, I went to the church and I got there kind of early and the door flung open and there was a young man that I knew from high school named Thomas Adams. And I looked at him, I said, wow, Thomas, you remember this church? He said, yeah, I'm the youth pastor here. I said, wow, that's amazing. Praise the Lord. He said, yeah, praise the Lord. 
So they got up, you know, and the pastor was uh, getting ready to introduce me, and he said, Dwight Knight is here. I don't know him personally, but Thomas Adams said that when they were high school together, he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Dwight Knight was a Christian and became a Christian because of his life. Who are you witnessing to? How does your life reflect him? People just say she's a nice woman. He's a nice guy. He doesn't swear. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. Oh, that's nice. But do they know who you represent? Are you one of God's mighty men and women that can be used in any time for his glory? I pray so that you're committed to the truth of the gospel, especially in an hour where the world is looking for an answer. It's not found in our army and it's not found in our constitution. It's found only in him. Saints, I pray that you'll live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ and be convinced of his glory. In so doing, he will be so powerful in your life, such a witness in your life that the world has to notice. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we've had with your word. We thank, thank you for the power that you've given us to spread the gospel. And Father, I pray that every single heart would commit itself to you and your work so the world can know that there's a God who is still available to save. In Jesus' name, amen.